Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy, and today we were joined by Robin Anderson. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist and the founder of prelicense.com. She's an advocate and leader within the field of marriage and family therapy here in California and great friend. We, we've known Robin for quite a while now and crossed paths quite a bit just in our advocacy efforts throughout the state. And welcome to the show, Robin. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're super excited to have you here. I know that you have definitely been one of the biggest advocates I've heard of around pre-licensed issues, and I would love to, to hear a little bit more about who you are and what you're putting out into the world. Absolutely. So as Kurt said, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I would consider myself newly licensed within the last year. So I definitely still have that perspective with what it's like to be an associate and how challenging that journey can be to licensure. I'm also, as Kurt said, the founder of Prelicense, but I'm also the business development manager for Track Your Hours LLC. So I definitely enjoy my work as a therapist, not just in serving clients, but also serving my fellow therapists through creating products and services for them. That's awesome. What led you to initially create Prelicensed? So it started when I was an associate and I just wrapped up my 3000 hours. I was looking to make a transition to a new position. And a lot of my colleagues were asking how I found those paid opportunities because they had been looking themselves and they were having a very difficult time. Fun fact, I started off in an unpaid internship and I had to work my way up to a full-time paid position. So I, again, understand firsthand how challenging that can be. And I started to think about what was out there as far as advertising those paid positions for associates and felt like there was a gap in the field. And that's the mentality I've taken a lot of times when I'm looking at products and services. What's the gap in the MFT field and how can I fill that gap? So that's what led to creating Prelicensed. It started off as a job search, but it's ultimately becoming a platform for discussing needs of associates, trainees, and students. And I'm happy that it's taken off and it's growing exponentially each year. And I'm very happy to be involved with it. What does Prelicensed have? Like, what is it? What does Prelicensed look right now? And then you also mentioned track your hours. What does all that look like? So pre-licensed has a number of features. The primary one is definitely the job search feature. So what makes pre-licensed unique is that only paid positions for associates and occasionally trainees are featured on there. So all of the positions are paid. They all offer clinical supervision and they're all currently in California. We might eventually expand to other states, but for now it's just California. So you can go to other websites and find listings for associates 
But then as you read them, sometimes you find out they're unpaid. Other times you find out that they're positions that associates can hold, but there isn't any clinical supervision offered. So if you're trying to get those 3,000 hours, that can put you in a bit of a bind, mm-hmm. having to choose between something that's paid versus something that gives you hours. So when you go to pre-license and you look at the job listings, you can have the confidence of knowing that those are all paid. They all offer clinical supervision. One of the big issues that I know that you've joined up with, Dr. Ben Caldwell, who's one of our previous guests on the show, you guys have joined up and you've really started a wonderful hashtag campaign of hashtag post the pay. And to really encourage and and maybe even if we choose a stronger word here of shame employers <laughs> into into really being transparent about how they're treating pre-licensees and you know this is something that we're really getting behind too in our look at how pre-licensees are are being pushed and I don't want to speak for you but it seems like one of the big issues at least here in California is that pre-licensees aren't getting paid for the work that they're doing. It's something that I started encountering even in graduate school when professors would say, you know, unless you're bilingual, unless you have some kind of special skill set, don't plan on getting paid. And I think that set the tone for me in believing that unless I was willing to go into private practice, unless I was willing to go above and beyond in some way, that I wouldn't be able to find that paid position. And what I found through my work with pre-licensed is that there are so many positions out there. It just might be very difficult to find them. I I do want to say with the hashtag post the pay, that's all Ben Caldwell. I give full credit to him. But I have had some interesting conversations with employers who have tried to post job listings on pre-licensed. And when I've found out that they're not paid, I've confronted them gently, but still told them that we're not posting those types of listings. And so it does bring up some interesting conversations in trying to find out why employers either feel they're unable or unwilling to offer paid positions. It's, it's enlightening. What kinds of things have you heard back from employers surrounding those kinds of questions? A lot of times they say it's a funding issue. So they'll say, we're a small nonprofit. We simply don't have the budget. Uh, What I've found, though, is that a lot of those agencies do pay licensed therapists. So in my mind, it does bring up that question of what needs to change in order for employers to feel like they can pay their associates. Because I truly do believe once you have that master's degree, there's no reason to not be paid, even if it's a small amount. I know some places will do stipends. They'll offer something in return for the work that the associates are putting in. I've also heard that some people will say, well, this is a training facility, and so this is an opportunity for people to learn. And unless it truly is a high-quality training facility where no one's getting paid, (laughs) none of the people who are providing therapeutic services are getting paid, I'm not an attorney, but it seems like there's, there's some employment laws that people come up against. If you're paying one person to do the work and not somebody else to do the work, that kind of sounds like it's against the law. Right. And I'm definitely not a legal expert, but I think the more we're talking about this, the more we can start to explore what's going on there. Is there any leeway? I'm a big fan of the work that Ben Caldwell is doing because it's not just him going to the meetings and advocating for associates, trainees, and students. He's really trying to get those same people, the associates, trainees, and students to start advocating for themselves, to start educating themselves. And I'm a huge proponent of that. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So this is one of the challenges is that oftentimes associates, especially marriage and family therapist associates in or associate marriage and family therapists, you know, in California, there's a lot of unpaid positions. But what are the other challenges or the biggest challenges that pre-licensed individuals face in your mind? So I think the idea that associates, trainees, and students aren't being valued is certainly one of the biggest challenges. It goes from how much they're being paid to how they're looked at by colleagues and employers, and even how clients are looking at them. For example, I remember when I was an associate, I was in a setting where I wasn't being paid, and there were a few licensed therapists who were being paid. So I had a client come in, and they made the comment of, oh, well, at least you're getting paid for this. And there was a pause, and they looked at me and went, right? you are getting paid, right? So that's an awkward situation for an associate to be put in. And I think with the change from intern to associate, that is helping as far as elevating the associates and making it clear that they do have that education, they are qualified, but it's still a challenge for associates, trainees, and students to be recognized and to be valued. I also think the challenges for Pre-licensed individuals in particular come with connecting with supportive people. So unless you're fortunate to have those great supervisors and those colleagues, it can be challenging to find the people who are going to invest in you, who are going to help guide you and mentor you. What kinds of support do you see that pre-licensees need, whether it be from those supervisors or that they aren't quite getting from those supervisors who aren't naturally good or have trained well enough to be good and supportive in those situations? You know, I think it has to start in graduate school when people are starting to find out what exactly the journey to licensure is going to look like. So starting to become aware of the challenges of finding a practicum site and what they should be looking for in those sites, having people to guide them to select a practicum site that's not just going to give them a lot of hours, but also help them to develop some kind of skill set a nurturing environment, because when you're first starting off, your confidence isn't very high. And so you need people to be there and reassure. And then after graduation, it's again, continuing to develop that confidence, but then having people share resources, telling associates where they can find information about how those hours are calculated. So even if it's just directing to the BBS website in the relevant forms, or if it's telling them, hey, there are these different time-saving products and services you can use, or saying, I'm a member of my local camp chapter and I found it so valuable for networking, you should come to one of the meetings. I feel like so often the schools can teach, and then and Kurt and I have talked about this before too, they can teach the, the interventions, they can teach the, the stuff that they need to teach for us to be able to get our master's degrees and say, And now the supervisor is going to teach everything else. And then the supervisors are saying, well, your school should have taught you this. And so it's when you find the supportive individuals that can share that information that isn't taught. And I think there's also a lot of stuff that just isn't taught, like how to get a job, how to run a business, you know, those kind of, you know, more career and professional based stuff versus clinical stuff. I think being able to find those people who can support you is is critical in, in expanding your learning. Because in truth, doing therapy can be pretty isolating. Obviously, in an agency, you can have some colleagues around. In a group practice, you can have other people around. You have a supervisor. But if those people aren't nurturing, it can feel very isolating. And especially when you're trying to learn, it can feel like you're just kind of wandering in the desert. You know, there's nobody (laughs) really telling you, you know, where to go, how to best kind of use your time, what kind of things to do. So I think that's great. 
I really like that. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. How do you see pre-licensees getting in their own way? Like this, there, there seems to be a lot of big advocacy stuff here that maybe people don't aren't aware of until they get to that licensure point and then they don't care or don't have the time anymore. What can they do to A, have this stuff brought up to them earlier and B, make more of their own voice so it's not the same Ben Caldwell, the same Kurt Whithelm, the same Katie Vernoy, the same Robin Anderson speaking on their behalf? I definitely think that where pre-licensed therapists can get in their own way is that because they aren't being valued, they start to devalue themselves. So for example, when I heard professors talking about how it would be incredibly difficult for me to get a paid position unless I was bilingual or I had some other special skill set or I went into private practice, I started ruling out some job listings because I had bought into that. And it took me a while to realize that that simply wasn't true. And for me, it was helpful to look at, looking back, seeing those different job listings that were out there. I realize I have a different perspective now that I'm licensed and I can look back and actually run the numbers with the job listings that I've seen. But about one in four job listings that I've found that are paid require an intern or an associate to be bilingual. A lot of them do say they prefer it, but it's not required. So looking at that information, it led me to realize, okay, the odds really aren't as stacked against associates as they might believe that they are. And once there's that hope that it's not as hopeless as they think it is, then I think they can feel empowered to advocate for themselves. And they can do that just by having conversations. So you know, talking to their fellow associates and figuring out, okay, what's the reality? What can we do to change that? I recently went to my first BBS meeting and I noticed that there weren't really any other therapists there unless they were representing CAMP or AMP or some other larger organization. So there definitely are steps pre-licensed therapists can take in order to have their voices heard by the people who are in a position to start looking at re-examining some policies and procedures that are out there. But they have to take that step and not just put everything on one or two people to advocate for them, but start sharing their unique stories, their journey, and what they've been going through. I think that's really important. And I like this idea of building hope because as someone who has hired 
hundreds of pre-licensed individuals over my career when I was a manager in community mental health, there was an, another piece that I saw, and it was obviously interpreted by me in a very different way than it was by the, the pre-licensed individual. But when you're in that hopeless place where no one's really going to give you a job, you're going to have to work for free, it's hard, you know, like all of those things, it's hard to find jobs, the jobs are not going to be good. There's a real negativity that starts percolating. And when you walk into an interview or interact with potential employers with that negativity, it can come off as complaining or entitled and that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that that was, you know, my assessment in the moment, but there was definitely times when I was reaching out to individuals saying, Hey, I like your experience and I'd love to interview you. And more than once I had someone respond back that I needed to stop spamming them because I was a recruiter. So they didn't believe that I actually had a job. And it was one of those things where it was like, Whoa, like I have a real job. I wanted you for it, and now I don't. And I obviously didn't say that back to the person. I just said, I, I'm sorry for the confusion. We are retained to hire for this position. If you're interested, please go ahead and submit your application materials, but there is no pressure at all to do so, and I will stop contacting you. But it's one of those things where I've had people get in that space where they're so negative and so run down with this, this notion that they're not going to be able to make it through their hours intact, that they're going to have to sacrifice their financial well-being, that they're going to have horrible jobs, that they start kind of taking it out on the people who are actually ready to provide them with a paying job and good supervision. Another piece is I've definitely seen people walk into an interview room and start complaining about poor supervision or kind of the lack of jobs in the interview and get in their way and getting the current job because uh, they don't recognize how that looks. So I really like the idea of building hope. And I'm wondering, in addition to going to professional meetings like the Board of Behavioral Sciences or connecting with their local professional organization like CAMP, the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, or AMPT, the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, what are other ways that they can help their cause, advocate? Like, what are the other things they can do to build this hope and this sense of making things better? Well, you had touched on something earlier about how it can feel very isolating when you're in your practicum or internship phase. And I absolutely agree with stepping outside of that, going to those professional meetings. But I think there are other ways that people can connect, even if they're not able to go to those meetings. I know those can happen on weekdays and associates might be at a Monday through Friday jobs that are not able to attend. But I think there are certainly ways to connect with people online through social media. And what I really want to emphasize is the idea of you don't have to wait until you're licensed in order to follow up on something that you've been thinking about doing. When I started pre-license, I was still an associate. There wasn't anything stopping me from following up on that idea that I had in my mind. And so I would say to the associates, the trainees, the students out there who are feeling like they are missing something in their professional journey to just go for it. Start meeting those people, start developing those relationships. When I heard the word networking, it always freaked me out. One, because I'm an introvert. (laughs) And two, because I thought, well, what do I have to offer? These are all seasoned professionals and I, I don't know why they would want anything to do with me. But when you develop genuine connections, when you start really feeling like you have something special with another licensed therapist, then that creates a true relationship. And from that, there can be future 
opportunities for collaborating or partnering in some way. So if that's the focus and it's not so much on what you have to offer right now, but what could come up in the future, when you start having that shift in mentality, I think that can take an associate a long way in their journey. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I'm glad that you point out that you're an introvert and I'm very much not. And that... (laughs) Being even, you know, a few years ahead of Robin in licensure experience, but having run into her in so many different environments and seeing the consistency and the work ethic that she brings into things is really a strength, no matter at what point in your career you are. And if this is something that you can demonstrate earlier on, it really does allow for you to connect with people who share your vision and to be able to help come together and utilize those resources together. And I do want to go back to a point that Robin brought up about showing up to some of these meetings and having a point to bring across is that one of the really important things to understand is that the tide is very slow to change, especially when things involve regulation or legislation and may take even longer than what your pre-license experience might be. That doesn't mean that you should give up on it. If anything, this is to help get the conversation started so that way the next generations of therapists don't end up having to face the same issues that you do. And this really comes kind of with that idea of the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is today. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's legislation that I've been helping to weigh comments on as far as uh, some supervision changes here in California that it's a couple of years ago when I started going to these meetings It's just now getting to the legislators, and it'll be a few more years before it gets implemented, assuming that it passes in this version. So the other issues that do face pre-licensees, whether it's something that you can change rather quickly, which is something in a one-to-one relationship with a supervisor, that's something that you can change very, very quickly. If it's something dealing with regulation, that's something that It does take more of of a connected group of people to be able to consistently make those presentations. And it doesn't come without its expenses, whether it's monetary, whether it's missed work. But it's important to get involved because this is already a profession that you're investing tens of, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars into. For sure. I mean, I think if we look at advocacy, to use the more political term, lobbying, it can feel daunting but a lot of different uh, professional organizations, Kurt and I know about CAMPT and AMPT because there's some involvement there in some of the state and federal uh, lobbying that he and I do. But those organizations, a lot of them, one of the primary missions they have are to support the professionals in the field. And, and in truth, I think I've, I've seen a lot of people that, that participate later in their career They've, you know, they've got their established practice. They built enough of, a, of an income that they don't have to work as much. And so then they can now think about legacy and, and join and, and participate in professional organizations and lobby. And I think that's great. I, I love having those people alongside me. They're, they're definitely bringing uh, knowledge and, you know, wisdom from the field all the way through. 
but not being close to pre-licensed status, not having finger on the pulse necessarily of what it feels like to be a student, to be a trainee, to be a a pre-licensed individual, they're not going to necessarily be advocating for those things. And in fact, they might be in the opposite side, especially around pay, if they're wanting to, to start or continue an organization that doesn't pay their interns or associates. So I think it's something where having your voice heard early on because of the different developmental phase that you're in can bring some of those issues to the forefront and make sure that change can start happening. And it can be something where you're investing early to, to really develop the field in the way you want it when in the, the lifetime of your career, which, you know, depending when you start, could be, you know, 50 years. So I think it's, it's really important that we think about, can we get involved now, wherever stage you're at, but, but as far as our pre-licensed individuals, I think it's important to really think about, can you, can you take some steps now? Can you kind of invest that time, sacrifice a little bit so that your voice is heard and is part of the conversation? Because I think too often the pre-licensed voice is missing. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I want to add something onto it because One interesting question I got once I became licensed was, well, are you going to keep working on pre-licensed? And why would I not be involved with pre-licensed just because I've become licensed now? And I've seen other associates who have been very vocal once they've been pre-licensed. And then once they get licensed, there can be that shift of, okay, now I can get paid more. Now I'm going to start focusing on paying off my student loans or I'm going to establish my private practice. So what I would say is to those pre-licensed therapists who are getting involved continue to stay involved after getting licensed. You know, as you said, they have that perspective of being a newly licensed therapist. And so they understand the challenges and they can speak to some of the more recent struggles. But if you're licensed and your mindset is, okay, I'm done. I'm going to move on. (laughs) Never going to think about this again. You're really doing a disservice to all those associates who are going to come after you. And when we give back to the associates, even if it's just our time and in our encouragement as licensed therapists, then we're working to make the MFT field as a whole stronger. We're making those therapists stronger, more confident individuals, and that trickles down to the clients that they're supporting. So really, there's no reason to not invest in associates, trainees, and students. And this doesn't even have to be at the regulation or legislation level, but even in helping shape the conversation around how we treat our pre-licensees, talking to our colleagues who might be the professors in those schools, talking about what you're actually capable of doing as far as getting hired, of working with smaller networking organizations, the local chapters of the bigger organizations, of really encouraging other pre-licensed involvement. And that's something that you can do at any point in your career. I think that there's a lot of people who have that intention to continue to do this. But as Robin was describing is that sometimes life gets in the way or that you shift your priorities because of a family coming along or because your practice needs more time and you don't leave kind of that advocacy time there either. And I think that part of this also gets kind of confused with the encouragement of pro bono work that some of the ethics codes require. Advocacy is pro bono if you're doing it for free. And if that's what your investment is, then pro bono can take a lot of different shapes and forms. It's not just doing more free work for clients. (laughs) You've done enough of that as a pre-licensee, unfortunately, but advocacy is part of that pro bono situation too. I love that you brought that up because I think 
a lot of us do forget about that pro bono aspect. And certainly when I started pre-licensed for those first two years, I wasn't getting paid for that work. And so I recognize the irony of that because here I was <laughs> uh, promoting these paid job listings and I was doing it and not getting paid for all that time and effort. But I did see it as something that not only was I passionate about, but I felt an ethical obligation on my part to, to give back to the community in some way. And so whether that was just me trying to reassure myself or if it was buying into that pro bono aspect as well, um, I, I do feel it's important for us to remember that, that it doesn't just have to be having low fee or free slots open to clients, that we can also give back our time and energy in other ways. Yes, I think that's really wonderful. And I think it feels good too. I think it gives a balance to the work that seeing... 27 clients a week or 38 clients a week or whatever some folks get into, you know, having that balance where you're focusing on yourself and the profession as a whole can really nurture and nourish your soul. And so I think recognizing that if that's something that you're passionate about, carving out the time to do it can be really positive for so many reasons. But I think also just, you know, you're meeting your ethical obligation of pro bono work. You're helping the profession and the communities around you. And you're really taking time to focus on yourself and what you want to put out in the world. So Robin, you have a couple of other projects. You mentioned Track Your Hours, and I think you've got something else coming up along those lines too. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Tell us more about that. Yes. So I did mention earlier on in this interview that I'm the business development manager for Track Your Hours LLC. So Track Your Hours LLC does encompass three different products, one of them being pre-licensed, the second being one that many people have heard of, which is Track Your Hours. And this is a way for associates, trainees, and students to keep track of their hours that they're earning up toward licensure. It is a paid service, but it can save a great deal of time and energy when you're just plugging in those hours and printing off those forms. And if you ever lose them, then you can easily print them off again and get them re-signed. The question I have on Track Your Hours, is that solely for California therapists? Yes, uh, okay. for LMFTs, LCSWs, and LPCCs. So whichever of those three tracks you're going down in order to get licensed. And then the third product, which I'm happy to announce is coming out on May 1st, is Track Your CEUs. So as some people might have heard, a lot of people are failing the BBS audits, and there are a number of reasons for this, but Tracker CEUs is going to be, for a limited time, a free service to anyone cool. who is currently or was previously a Tracker Hours subscriber, and it's going to allow licensed therapists, social workers, and clinical counselors to track their CEUs. So when you go to your meetings, you get that paper certificate, you can just take a picture with your phone, upload it to your account, and it's there, saved in the cloud. So again, if you ever get audited and you don't have that paper document in order to show proof that you completed those CEs, you can just download it and send it over and you can keep track of when you need to get your law and ethics done every two years, if you need to get your HIV and AIDS course done during your first license renewal, which a lot of people aren't even aware is a requirement, and anything else that you earn over that two-year period. You can just keep track of it all and have that peace of mind. That's awesome. Thank you. And we'll include in our show notes links to all of the projects that Robin has brought up today. And do you have other websites? Do you have a website for your practice? Uh, yes, you can go to robinanderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N dot net. 
And I do have my portfolio there. I talk about the projects that I'm involved with and the projects that I'm working on. So feel free to keep an eye on that. And you're always welcome to shoot me a message if you want to get involved with the work I'm doing in some way, or if you just want to say hi and ask some questions. And another wonderful feature of prelicense.com is the blog posts that are extremely relevant to our prelicense community here. And once again, we'll include links to all of Robin's projects in our show notes. Robin's also going to be joining us at the Therapy Reimagined Conference in October in the Los Angeles area, where she's going to continue doing her thing of bringing the pre-licensed voice up. We're super excited to be joining forces with her on that. And you can learn more about that on our website, mtsgpodcast.com. Check out our live events there. Please join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Survival Guide group, where we're going to continue on with these types of discussions and deepen them and encourage you to get involved wherever you may be. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy and Robin Anderson. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest-rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.